I personally appreciate very much Brother Tim's message this morning. I'm telling you, if you're not working to put on that whole armor of God today, you're so vulnerable. You're so wide open. And the devil just is like a, a lion looking upon a, a helpless flock of sheep. Uh, no shepherd there, and he's just easy prey. And it's difficult enough, of course, when you do put on the armor of God, but this is God's protection for your mind, for your heart, uh, for your feet. You got truth, you got the gospel, you got prayer, you got the sword of the word. God's giving you everything that you need to be adequately and properly and completely equipped to live in this life and do battle with your enemies if you have the armor on. I'd like to look at, uh, in the beginning this morning, Psalm 71. Two verses, Psalm 71. We will be going and looking at the life of Jacob in a little bit over in Genesis 46. But in Psalm 71, we notice in verse 9, David says, Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. Verse 18. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. David had a concern that when he got older that he would not be forsaken of the Lord. Now another place David says, I once was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He knew when he got older, his strength would begin to leave him. He'd become weaker. So he cries to God that he would not forsake him when he's old and gray-headed. Notice verse 18 in particular. That until, I, until, he says, I need time, until I've showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. The older members of the church Parents, grandparents, older members of the congregation have an awesome responsibility to set a proper example for the generation coming behind. Now, the Bible teaches that discipleship is not just for the old, but discipleship is for the young. We find that Timothy in Acts 16:1 was identified as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that Timothy was very young in age. In Acts chapter 21, there's a man by the name of Manson who was an old disciple that Paul said we lodged with. He was from Caesarea and we lodged with him for three days. Here we have an example of a young disciple. We have an example of a, an old disciple. The scriptures are not for God's people later on in life only, but the scriptures are for God's people from the very earliest of ages. It's for everyone of all ages. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 25, 6, and 7, you have three goods. It says, it's good, the Lord is good for those who wait for him, and their soul seeketh after him. It is good for a man to hope and quietly wait for the Lord in his salvation. And in verse 27, he says, it is good for the youth to bear the yoke in their youth. Now, Jeremiah uses the word yoke frequently in his writings, being symbolic of many different things. But here he's talking about the yoke of service. It's good to bear the yoke in your youth. 
Ecclesiastes 12, 1, Solomon writes, and he says here uh, that we remember thy creator in the days of thy youth when the evil days come not. The word evil doesn't always mean wickedness and evil or wickedness and, uh, you know, sin. Uh, now, all wickedness and sin is evil, but not all evil is wickedness and sin. The word evil oftentimes means that which is unpleasant. It can mean misery and distress. And when people get older, they start having physical problems. Their eyesight becomes dimmer. Their hearing is not as sharp. Their teeth are not as good as they were when they were young. The fears they have in older age were not there in their younger age. As you continue re uh, reading Ecclesiastes 12, you'll read all these things in symbolic language. And the older people of the congregation know exactly what those verses mean because you've been experiencing it perhaps for a while. David says, when I'm old and gray-headed, forsake me not until I've showed thy strength unto the generation, this generation, and thy power to everyone that is to come. I think we have an example of that in the life of Jacob. I want to go to Genesis 46. Now, we have examples of bearing the yoke, you, uh, excuse me, bearing the yoke in our youth, too. We, we did a series on Joseph. When Joseph came to our attention, he's 17. We looked at other men like that, like Daniel and the Hebrew children. They were young teenagers. They'd taken off into captivity. David was a teenager when he fought Goliath. Here are people in their youth who are bearing the yoke in their youth and showing their dedication and faithfulness to God at a very early age. But I want to talk about Jacob in his latter years. I want to talk about Jacob in the last 17 years of the life of Jacob. Jacob lived to be 147. We're going to pick up his life at age 130. In the last part of Genesis 45, we find where it's come to the attention of Jacob that his son Joseph, that he thought had been dead for 22 years, is alive. It took some doing. It took the testimony of his other sons. It took the evidence of the wagons and everything that Joseph had sent from Egypt up there to get his father to bring him back. It took the words of Joseph to convince Jacob that his son was actually alive. For 22 years he grieved. For 22 years his heart had been broken. For 22 years his heart was very sad because his son, the son he loved so dearly that we read about in Genesis chapter 37, the son of his old age, the son of his old age, you see, when he had Joseph, he was about 108, I believe. But he was he's still in his, in his latter years. And he had Joseph for 17 years in the land of Canaan in Hebron. But the Lord's going to give him 17 years at the end of his life with Joseph in Egypt. 17 here, 17 here. How did Jacob spend his last 17 years? We find the opening of Genesis chapter 46 begins like this. And Israel, that's talking about Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Bathsheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Jacob begins his journey, but he stops at a place called Bathsheba. And in Bathsheba, he's going to build an altar. In Bathsheba, he's going to offer sacrifices to God. 
before he gets very far on his journey, he's going to pause and pray to God for guidance and pray to God for strength. He's relocating. You know, when people get older, I'm told that they get in a comfort zone. They don't like change. They like to be surrounded by family and friends and keep everything the same. They don't like to change a thing. They don't even like to change where they sit in the church. I found that out. The only thing I've found out will move people from where they usually sit is when the sunlight comes in those windows and they can't bear it. They'll finally move around. The sun does something I've never been able to do. But older people get that way, I'm told. They, they just kind of like to settle down and settle in and don't like change. Well, Jacob's about to make a big change. Jacob's going to leave the land of Canaan and he's going to go down into Egypt at the direction of God. He stops at a place called Beersheba. Beersheba is a place where Abraham dwelt after he offered up Isaac on Mount Moriah. It's the place where he appeared unto Hagar. It's the place where he appeared unto Isaac. It's a place now where he's going to appear unto Jacob. You see, Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, the three of them, had many experiences in this place called Beersheba. So it's a good place to stop. So he stops, builds an altar, and makes an offering and sacrifice unto God. And I think today, when you start a journey, I know a Sister Regina's father was great for this. Uh, he was such a, a godly and pious man. And whenever they'd start to take a trip, or when they would begin to leave their house to go back home and travel many miles before they left, they'd have a traveling prayer. They said, let's have a prayer before you start out on the journey. I think that's very good. I think it's very wise. And that's what Jacob's doing. He says, and Jacob started off with all that he had. Jo Jacob is committed to this move. He's not going to leave something behind. He's not going to leave something behind that he's going to yearn for, that he might have an idea of going back for. He's going to take everything that he has, lock, stock, and barrel. He's committed to the move. He's committed to going to see his son Joseph. Now remember, he hadn't seen him yet. He's convinced now he's alive, but he hadn't seen him yet. And can you imagine as he's on this journey heading down to Egypt with the prospects of seeing his son that he believes has been dead for 22 years. Can you just imagine? You'd have to imagine, I think, what was going through his mind, what was going through his heart, what was going through his soul. It's just too good to be true just about. So he makes this offering sacrifice to God and God answers it. I want you to notice four things that God tells Abraham excuse me, Isaac, four things. He says, God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night. And Jake, he said, Jacob, Jacob. And that kind of reminds me of others that the Lord's spoken to by their name twice. He spoke to Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. He spoke to Mary, Mary, Mary. He spoke to Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul. Uh, when the Lord calls your name twice, it emphasizes several things. First of all, it's important. Number two, he knows you by name. 2 Timothy 2.19, Paul says, The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows you by name. He's known you since before time ever began, before the foundation of the world. He says, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob says, Here am I. Now think about that just for a moment. What does that mean? What does that embrace? Here am I. Jacob didn't know what else to say. He just said, here am I. I. I can just see him now. Here am I. You see me, Lord. You see my frailty. You see my weakness. You see, you know, you've seen my failures. Uh, here am I. Uh, there's nothing else really to say, is it? 
And so when the Lord speaks to you, what else are you going to say to the Lord than just, here am I. What you see is what you got. And God sees everything about us, right? We might hide things from others, but not from God. Here am I. No need to put on any pretense. No need to put on any kind of show. And Jacob doesn't do it. Jacob says, here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. This is how God responds. Jacob says, here am I. And God says, I, he says, I am God. So quite a, quite a change, isn't it? Let me get my equipment back on here. Lost my mic. I am God, the God of thy father. He says, fear not. Now, Brother Tim gave us a, a fear not while ago. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will make of thee a great nation. This is the first thing he tells him. Now, you've heard me say before numerous times that the Bible speaks about woes to people that go down to Egypt. Isaiah 30 and verse 2, Isaiah 31 verse 1 says, Woe to them to go down to Egypt. But the problem is, why are you going down to Egypt? He says, Woe to those that go down to Egypt for help. That's when you go down to Egypt on your own. Remember, Jacob's grandfather Abraham went down to Egypt because there was a famine in Canaan. He went down on his own and God had to come down and rescue him. And then we find where Isaac was going down to Egypt and God intercepted him and prevented him from going past a place called Gerar. And now Jacob's about to go down into Egypt. Egypt symbolizes the world in which we live here. Egypt is a place of darkness, it's a place of bondage, it's a place that people like Jacob didn't need to go to ordinarily, but now God's instructed him to go down to Egypt and he says, fear not, Jacob. Jacob knew about his father's experience. He knew about his grandfather's experience. He says, go not, fear not to go down into Egypt. For I will make of thee a great nation. You know how many peoples in, see, Israel, uh, Jacob has not been formed into a nation yet. There's no such thing as a nation of Israel at this point. You know how many peoples here at 66? At 66 descendants here of of Jacob, you count Jacob 67, Joseph 68, and his two sons 69 and 70, and there's where you have the number of 70. You'll have the number 66 given one time, and number 70 given another. That's the number. When they come out of there over 400 years later, they're going to come out over 2 million strong. God's going to keep his word. He's going to make them a great nation down in the land of Egypt. That's his first promise to Jacob. Then he says, I will go with thee, down with thee into Egypt. Notice, when you go to Egypt, you go down. The Lord said, I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. You're going down, but you're coming back out of there, Jacob. I'm going to go with you down into Egypt, and I'm going to go with you and bring you up out of Egypt. Now, he's going to die in Egypt, but he's not going to be buried in Egypt. And the Lord willing, we'll say something about that a little bit later on. And then he says, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. That simply means that he's telling Jacob, when you die, Joseph will take care of you. The oldest son, when somebody died, the oldest son always took his hand and, and closed the eyes of the deceased. That was a very common practice in that day. And that's what the Lord is telling Jacob right here. He says, Joseph will close thine eyes. You're going to see, for him to do that, he's going to have to see Joseph, right? He's going to have to see Joseph's 
be with Joseph, and when he dies, Joseph is going to be with him. That's going to be 17 years down the road. Now, Jacob doesn't know he has 17 years left to live. He doesn't know how long he has left to live. We do because we've read the story, right? But Jacob doesn't know that. But on these four promises, now what are they again? I will go with thee. I will go with you down to Egypt. I'll bring you up out of Egypt. Joseph put his hands upon thine eyes, and I'll make unto thee a great nation. Four promises God gives him to alleviate his fears of going down into Egypt. And on those four promises, we find Jacob takes his journey. We're going to find when Jacob gets down to Egypt, he's going to be met by Joseph. Joseph's going to make ready his chariot. And we come to the 30th verse of Genesis chapter 46. And it says, And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I've seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Now when they first met, the verse above us tells us there was a lot of weeping going on. And it speaks about how Joseph was weeping for his father. Not only had Jacob not seen Joseph for 22 years, Joseph had not seen his father Jacob for 22 years. And now Joseph has been informed by his brethren and all their experiences that his daddy is alive. And now Jacob believes that Joseph's alive. Now they have this meeting. If you could put this in your mind now, visualize this. These two men, father, son, son, father, who hadn't seen each other for 22 years, who love each other dearly, are going to have a meeting. A reunion. And when they have this meeting, there's great weeping going on. This is the fifth time you read of where Joseph wept. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I've seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Now, there's several people in the Bible who made, made a statement about dying. You read about Elijah's life in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah down of a juniper tree and requested God that he might die. Why did he make that request? Elijah had a lot of battles with two of the most wicked people ever live on this earth, Ahab and Jezebel. And I think Elijah just got flat wore out, weary with all of his battles. So he asked God just to, to let him die. In Numbers chapter 11, you got Moses. In chapter 11, you find where the children of Israel complained. That's all Moses heard was complaining, complaining, complaining. And the Lord speaks to Moses. And Moses said, Lord, he says, I didn't bear these children. I didn't bring them into existence. I, I can't handle this. It's too heavy a burden. He says, just, just kill me and let me go. Aren't you glad God doesn't always answer our prayers and our requests like we ask them? Then you got Jonah in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah made a request to die. Jonah got mad and angry. You know, he got angry at, he got angry at God. He was angry with God because God did not annihilate the Assyrians. He wanted God to zap them with lightning and just burn them up. But they all repented and God didn't do that. And that made Jonah mad and Jonah just got so angry. And the Lord said, art thou, uh, art thou angry, Jonah? Do, doest thou well to be angry, Jonah? And Jonah says, yes, and angry even unto death. But this man says, now let me die. He's not angry. He's not distressed. He's not discouraged. He doesn't feel the weight of somebody complaining all the time. He wants to die because he's happy. <laughs> he's content. 
He, he sees his son Joseph. It's like there's nothing else to see. There's nothing else to do. This is something I uh, never dreamed could ever happen. And now I've seen my son that I thought was dead for 22 years. Lord, just let me go on to glory. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in such a wonderful meeting? You say, if the Lord come back right now, boy, I'd be glad. And then come Monday or Tuesday, you say, well, Lord, it'd be all right if you want to wait a little while. Let me die. For I've seen thy face. You remember Luke chapter 15, there was a man referred to as the prodigal son. And the prodigal son left the house and went to a far country. I don't know how much time went by. But that father's son, I mean, that son's father, I believe, thought that son might come back one day. And I think he was looking for him a long time, every single day for that son to come back. And finally, the Lord blessed that son to get a little sense between his ears. And to realize he had a better dad than he thought he had. He remember, made him realize he had it better than he thought he had when he left home, when he thought he had the tiger by the tail and the world in the palm of his hand. And he comes back with a repentant attitude. And you know what his father said? He said, this my son who once was dead is now alive. He once was lost and now he's alive. When Jacob sees Joseph, he can say the same thing. This is my son that once in his mind was dead. He wasn't, but in his mind he was. And now he's alive. A time of great rejoicing. Jacob says, just, just let me die. It can't get any better than this. We find that Joseph was always good to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was good to Joseph. And Joseph's communicating with Pharaoh about all of this. And Pharaoh tells Joseph, says, you bring your family down here. And listen, Joseph, I mean, uh, Pharaoh paid the bill to move Jacob and his family from Canaan down to Egypt. Sometimes people have a job and the job relocates and moves them and they, they pay for the move. I've never had that uh, happen quite like that. But they pay for the move. Well, old Pharaoh's going to pick up the tab. He's going to pick up all the expenses of moving Jacob and his descendants from Canaan's land down to Egypt. And he tells Joseph, he says, you put them in the northeast part of the country, it's called Goshen. The Bible tells us several times that Goshen was the best part of the land of Egypt. It was especially good for sheep and cattle, which Jacob and his family, you know, that was a big part of their life. It was the best of the land. God is moving on the heart of Pharaoh. Proverbs 21.1 says, The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he turned the whistle of his eyes as the rivers of water. You find him doing that with several heathen kings. In the days of Ezra, it was Cyrus, king of Persia. In the day of Nehemiah, it was Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nehemiah and Jeremiah, it was Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. In the day of the Lord and Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, it was Augustus Caesar. And you say, what about Augustus Caesar? It was because Augustus Caesar issued out a tax that the Lord Jesus Christ winds up in Bethlehem to be born. The hearts of all men, no matter who they are, the godly and the ungodly, the elect and the non-elect, the powerful and the weak, are in the hand of God. He can turn those hearts whithersoever he desireth as the rivers of water. Pharaoh picks up the tab. Pharaoh, Pharaoh pays for the trip. Pharaoh puts them in the very best land in the land of Egypt. Now I want you to see something here. Here's Egypt. In the northwest corner is Goshen. 
Israel settles in Goshen, the very best place. Israel is in Egypt, but Israel's not of Egypt. We live in this world, but we're not to be of the world. Egypt is a picture of the world. Jacob and his family is in Egypt, but they're not of Egypt. You see that? They're separated. They have their own land. They're separated from all the Egyptians. And Joseph didn't want them down there in the heart of the land because that's where the, the, the greatest of immorality and idolatry and every kind of sin and weakness was going on. It was right in the middle of Egypt. So he's got them up there in the northeast. But who put them up there? Pharaoh did. But I'm going to tell you somebody else put them there. God put them there by working on the heart of Pharaoh. Now, there's going to be a meeting between Pharaoh and Jacob. Now, we looked at Jacob's conversation with God. Now, we look at Jacob's conversation with Pharaoh. When they meet, the first thing that happens is Jacob blesses Pharaoh. That tells you a little bit about the man, Jacob. And then Pharaoh asks Jacob a question. He says, how old are you? And Jacob says, the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life. And my years have not attained to the years of my fathers. Abraham lived to be 175. Isaac lived to be 180. Jacob had died at 147. He's going to die relatively young compared to his father and grandfather. But he describes his life in language that we should be able to relate to. Now he's giving testimony here to Pharaoh. How old are you, Jacob? I'm 130. Few and evil have been the days of my life. Somebody says, 130 doesn't sound like few to me. It does when your father lived to be 180 and your grandfather 175. But he says there are few and evil. That's in keeping with many scriptures in the Bible. Job 14.1, Job says, Man that's born of woman is few days and full of trouble. The question is asked in James chapter 4, verse 14, What is your life? And the answer is given, It's like a vapor. You see a steam kettle on a stove and steam coming up as you boil into water. How long does that steam last? Gone by the time you see it, isn't it? The Bible describes life like a shadow. You look out there and you see a shadow in the daytime, go back an hour later, it's changed shape. And eventually the shadow will be gone. It's described as grass, it cometh up. And when the Bible uses the word grass, sometimes it involves flowers and things like that. And a flower comes up reaches its zenith, its beauty, right, its peak, then what happens? It's to fold and go back, right? Don't take long for that to happen. The Bible tells our life is like a post, P-O-S-T. That was a runner carrying a message. He, hit, he ran, he was swift, he was fast. Compares it to a weaver's shuttle. You ever seen a, a weaver shuttle in the old days? That thing just moves back and forth just like that right there. He said, that's the way our life is. Few and evil. The word evil here means misery and in distress. He said he summed up his life like that. 130 years of misery. Well, look back at Jacob's life just a little bit, and you can see some of the misery. You can see him when Esau was trying to kill him. You can see him in, in all his battles and everything else that he went through in life up to, you know, he, he, lost, he thought he lost his son. He did lose his son for 22 years. He says, my life has been full of misery. It's been full of distress. He uses the word evil to describe it. Life is short. Life is brief. That's what he's telling Pharaoh. And then he blesses Pharaoh when the meeting ends. Pharaoh likes the old man. 
He's 130 years of age. Jacob didn't pull any punches. He said, my years have been few and evil. I believe it will be 130. What Jacob doesn't know is he's going to live 17 more years. The rest of this chapter deals with what a great manager Joseph was in the days of famine. Remember now, when Jacob comes down into Egypt, you're in the middle of seven years of famine. Two years have passed. Five years remain. God brings him down where all the food's at. And Joseph has wisely managed the affairs down in the land of Egypt. And the Bible tells us that Joseph nourished his family with bread up there in the land of Goshen. Joseph is now feeding his family. And now all the money and all the land in the land of Egypt eventually comes into the hands of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's in charge of, charge of all of it. That's the economic system that was established in Egypt under the management of a wise manager by the name of Joseph. And then we find where some time goes by. And the Bible says that Jacob realized he was nigh to death. And he calls Joseph. The Bible tells us, they tell Joseph, thy father is sick. They call him there. And Joseph, Jacob begins to make funeral plans. I think it's wise to look ahead sometimes. He begins to make plans for his funeral. And here's what he tells Joseph. He says, when I die, you take me out of Egypt. He said, you take me out of this land and you bury me in the land of my fathers. And he will be buried where Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah and his wife Leah were all buried in the family cemetery, so to speak. That's where Jacob says, that's where he wants you to put me. You know what Jacob's doing? He wants to be sure when he dies that his testimony is he didn't die an idol worshiping Egyptian. When he died, he died as a true believer in the true and living God, the God who created him and blessed him all the days of his life. That's going to be his testimony. The last thing that you do in this world that is going to give a testimony to people is going to be your death and your funeral. You think about it. People are all concerned about the last will and testament. I'm more concerned about my last, uh, you know, my last testimony. So what's it going to be? Well, Jacob's making sure he's got it all planned out. I'm not going to be die. I'm not going to die and be buried here. And, he's, and Joe, uh, Joseph says, I will do what you said. He said, I want you to swear it. And Joseph swore that he would do that. Joseph learned a lesson of this. And when Joseph died, or before Joseph died, you know what he tells his brother in Genesis 50? He says, surely God will come and bless you and deliver you out of this land. He says, but behold, I die and you take my bones out of here. Joseph knew he was going to die in Egypt, but he makes his brothers swear they'll take his bones out of that land. He didn't want to be buried there either. When you come to the 13th chapter of the book of Exodus, you're going to find Israel's coming out of the land of Egypt, and the Bible says Moses got Joseph's bones. And you come to Joshua chapter 24, the last chapter of that book, you're going to find three deaths and three funerals and three burials. One of them is Joshua. The other is the bones of Joseph. Joseph made funeral plans. Need to look ahead and make some plans about things like that. Yeah, there should be a last will and testament. Remember your last testimony. When I depart this world, I've told Karen, you don't spend a dime more than is necessary. <laughs> you keep it yourself. I don't need it. I don't need a fancy casket. I don't need an expensive casket. 
you do what the minimum the law allows, and you put me in the old pine box, cover me up with a little dirt, and I'm fine. I don't need a, I don't need a fancy casket. I don't even know where I'm going to be buried, by the way. Um, I got two lots down at Little Union Church in Lithia, Florida, if I want them. We got two lots up here in Hendersonville, not far from John and June Cash, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, and I got brother in Virginia told me I can come over there, free place to be buried over there. I appreciate all the goodness and the graciousness people offer unto me. I'm not too concerned about it, just whatever's best for the children. When it comes to the last will and testament, me and Karen want to be sure that our children understand that whatever debt we got, it'd be equally divided. You don't have to worry about us giving more debt to one than the other, just it's going to be equally divided. Jacob makes plans for his burial. I hope you see a little bit of what I'm trying to tell you from Psalm 71 this morning. And you're going to find where now Jacob speaks more specifically unto Joseph. We'll move along here. He's going to review some experiences he's had with God. The very first thing he tells him is how God blessed him in the land of lust, which goes back to Genesis chapter 28 when he's fleeing from Esau and God meets him. And in that night he has a dream and there's a ladder that went from heaven to earth and angels ascending, descending upon that ladder. And God speaks to him. He says, I'm the God of thy father Isaac, thy grandfather Abraham. And he says, I'll be with you, and I will bring you, and I will keep you, and I'll deliver you and make your seed to inherit the land in which your, your body's laying right now. Jacob wakes up. He says, surely the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not. Surely the Lord was here, and he called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God. We got a good name here. Bethel, the house of God. He takes him back to that experience. He then tells Jacob, he says, the Lord hath fed me all the days of my life. Now, the experiences that, that Jacob is delivering here, I think to Joseph, are some of the things that we can say. He said, when I was at lust, the Lord blessed me. That little expression, the Lord bless me, that tells a lot, doesn't it? If I was to tell you what that means in its entirety, we'd be here for a week. We wouldn't go home for a month. If I begin to go into details and tell you every single blessing that God has placed upon me in my lifetime, we'd be here a long time. So I'm just going to tell you what Jacob said. The Lord blessed me. <laughs> yeah, I'm here today because the Lord's blessed me. I have a wonderful wife because the Lord blessed me. I have four wonderful children because the Lord blessed me. I have four wonderful, uh, you know, uh, their spouses are to me because the Lord has blessed me. I have 11 wonderful grandchildren because the Lord has blessed me. Karen and I started out as two. We've now multiplied to 21 because the Lord hath blessed us. The Lord has blessed me to meet the most wonderful people upon the face of this earth. The Lord has blessed me to travel safely miles and miles and miles in trying to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. His hand of protection has been upon me. The Lord has blessed me. The Lord has blessed me to be part of a wonderful, caring, loving, generous, kind church here at Bethel Primitive Baptist Church. The Lord has blessed me. What about you? Has the Lord blessed you? You say, well, I've had so many trials. I don't want to hear about the trials right now. I just want to have the Lord blessed you. You're here this morning, aren't you? You're here this morning, aren't you? Yeah, but I've had so many different. You're here this morning, aren't you? Well, what I want to hear is this. The Lord has blessed me. 
And the Lord has fed me all the days of my life. You say, well, I, I work. I work for a living. Yeah, who gave you the ability to do the job you do? Who gave you the talent to do the job you do? Who gave you the job that you have? God did. It's God who's fed you all the days of your life and your earthly journey here. Then he says, the angel of the Lord, that's spelled with a capital A, and I have no doubt he's talking about the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord hath redeemed me from all evil. Jacob knew what it was to be pursued. Jacob knew what he knew uh, it was to have his life threatened. He knew what it was to serve 14 years to get two women to be wise. He had to serve 14 to get the one he really wanted in Rachel. He knew what it was to lose a loved one, lose a spouse. He lost Leah. He lost Rachel. And he thought he'd lost Joseph for 22 years. He says, the angel of God hath redeemed me from all evil. And I think we could expand that and talk about the evil of sin, the evil of, of transgressions, the evil of problems and difficulties and trials and tribulations, everything that come our way along life's journey, the angel of God has redeemed me from it. The angel of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has redeemed you, has redeemed me from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And then the last thing he tells Joseph, the very last thing, he says, the Lord shall be with thee. Verse 21. And by the way, when you read Genesis 37 through 50 concerning the life of Joseph and Jacob, you're going to read 12 times where there's references to Jacob's death. He says, And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. It was in Egypt that God formed and created this nation, made them a great and mighty nation. When they come out under the hand of Moses, they're two million strong. They were going to go back and occupy that land that God promised unto Abraham well over 400 years prior to that. Israel's prophecy came to pass. The last thing that Joseph hears. So what do we have here this morning? We got a man in his old age. A man's last 17 years of his life are reviewed from Genesis 46 to Genesis 50. What's he doing those, in those last four, 17 years? I heard this the other day. I thought it was real cute. You're always talking about a bucket list. What's on your bucket list? Somebody asked this man what was on his bucket list. He said, the first thing on my bucket list is I don't kick the bucket. <laughs> I guess that'd be good for starters, right? I like that. So what's on Jacob's bucket list? Before Jacob leaves this world, he wants Joseph to be well instructed that the Lord blessed me, the Lord fed me, the Lord redeemed me, and the Lord's going to bring you and my descendants back to Canaan's land, and we're all going to live right there, and we're going to be buried right there. That's the testimony and the life of a man in his last 17 years of life. What about you? And what about me? What's my witness going to be? Will and testimony or witness and, and <laughs> a testimony, you know, will and testament or witness and testimony? I'm a little more concerned about my witness and testimony than I am my will and testament. They're both important. Let's learn from Jacob's life and be like David. Lord, when I'm old and gray-headed. You know how old David was when he died? 
I know you want me to tell you. <laughs> he was 70. You know what it was said about him? He said he died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. That's the exact same thing he told Abraham, and Abraham died at 175. So you say, Brother Lawrence, what's a good old age? I guess anything from 70 on. <laughs> anything from 70 on is a good old age. And I don't think your last years have to be your worst. I think your last years can be your best. The, last, the best 17 years of Jacob's life was his last 17. And that can be your experience, and that can be mine.